So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, and in him we have redemption. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, all according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight and making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, and all this to the praise of his glory. So Lord Jesus, tonight we have exclaimed through song that worthy, worthy is your name and holy, holy are you God. And so tonight as we draw near to you in your word, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would change us because of your word. Father, right now in this moment, would you and would you only be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This is in the New Testament. This is kind of like towards the back of your Bible. There's not much left after this. Use your table of contents if you need to. And we'll be coming back here each week that we gather together this semester as we go through our series to the praise of His glory. Uh, last week was introduction, kind of setting the table for where we're going over the next year. So tonight, we launch out into our series. Uh, last week, we said that the biblical vision for what life is all about is seeing, pursuing, enjoying and proclaiming the glory of God. Seeing, pursuing, enjoying, and proclaiming the glory of God. We said that this is what should wake us up in the morning and then each night as our heads hit the pillow, this is what we're thinking about and processing the day through the lens of, did I enjoy God's glory? Did I proclaim God's glory? Did I live my life consistent with the very glory of God, that this one reality should be the blazing center of our lives. All things that we think, say, do, all of it, to the enjoyment of, to the embracement of, and to the exaltation of the worth, the beauty, and the holiness of God. Uh, as we get ready to jump into our passage, let's just take a quick poll of who all is in the room. Uh, so all you have to do is raise your hand. This is a really simple exercise. Uh, how many of you in here play sports? That was good, that was good, okay. How many of you in here are involved in drama? They call it drama? Okay. Now some of you all should be raising your hands right now, okay? Uh, 
How many of you are involved in art, music kind of stuff? It all goes together, right? Perfect. Okay. So pretty much, I think everybody in the room is involved in one of these areas. And in each of these activities, one thing is absolutely critical to your success. Like if you're on a sports team, you have to know what position you're playing, right? And as soon as you know your position, you know what you're supposed to think, what you're supposed to do, and what you're supposed to say or not say. The same is true if you're in a band, the same is true if you're in a drama. You must know your position, and once you know and understand your position, then you understand everything else that's expected of you, what you're to do, what you're to say, what you're to think. Uh, if you're unsure of your position, or if you don't really understand your position, then there's very little chance of things going well for you, right? Uh, it's kind of like, imagine the quarterback on a football team, if he thought his position was to be the kicker. He used to imagine like the ball being snapped by the center and it comes and the quarterback just kicks as hard as he can, right? Like that wouldn't go well for the team, it wouldn't go well for the quarterback, probably wouldn't go well for the O-line, like it just wouldn't end well, right? Uh, imagine if uh, you're the forward on a soccer team and your job is to put the ball in the goal, but every time you got the ball, you acted like you were playing the position goalie. Ball comes to you, first thing you do is pick it up and just punch it out of bounds, right? Uh, or if you were like really, really confused, imagine playing volleyball and all of a sudden you're playing the position of a linebacker in football. <laughs> the ball goes to the setter on the other team and you sprint over that line and just peg them to the floor, right? Uh, Knowing your position is of critical importance. The same thing is true in band. The same thing is true in drama. Like if you're performing the Lion King and all of a sudden Scar starts singing Akuna Matata, everyone is very, very confused, especially the person playing Scar, right? Uh, same thing is true in parent-child relationships, right? In authority and submission relationships. Like it's very important that the child understands their position. So when my son points his finger at me and says, Daddy, I have to quickly say, Son, you're the child. I'm the adult. Right? It's important that he understands his position for his success in life. I assure you. Uh, but knowing your position impacts what you do. It impacts your practice. Based on what your role is, based on your position, that changes everything. Uh, this is how the book of Ephesians is structured and as we get ready to look at it the first three chapters are all about describing your position if you are in christ if you belong to jesus if you have turned from your sins and trusted in him for your salvation then this first three chapters that we're going to look at they all describe your position in christ and then the last three chapters all describe your practice uh, another way to say it is the first three chapters are salvation accomplished, what God has done for us in Christ and what is now true of you and me. And the last three chapters are now all uh, salvation applied, how I live my life in Christ. If you're a grammar nerd or an English freak, uh, the first three chapters are gospel indicative and the last three chapters are gospel imperative. We are talking about all of the things that are true of us, the statements that are true of us as Christians, 
And then after that comes the imperatives, the commands, the things that we're supposed to do in light of who we are. And so this whole first semester is all about looking at who we are, what is our position in Christ. And then next semester, we'll talk about, so what does that mean? How does that change things? How do I live? Uh, You should be in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at the first two verses before we get into our text for tonight. Ephesians 1, 1 through 2 say this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, Paul's the one writing this letter, and then he gives it to, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing, and as he's writing, he's writing this letter to the saints. That is, when you see the word saints in scripture, it's the same thing as seeing holy ones, okay? The same word for holy and holiness is the same word that's applied to individuals, to people, once they come in Christ, once they turn their life to the Lord, once they repent of their sin and place faith in Jesus, they're no longer looked at as ultimately sinners, but ultimately their position is as saints. It says that they are the faithful ones, that is, the believing ones, those who have placed their trust in Christ. And then finally, he says, those who are in Christ. Uh, All three of these kind of work together and cannot exist without one another. You can't be a saint and not be holy. You cannot be a saint and not be a believing one. You cannot be a saint and a believing one and holy unless you are in Christ. And so when Paul is addressing the believers in Ephesus, he's talking to them and giving them a lot of truth about themselves already. You are saints, you are holy, and you are in Christ by virtue of your believing in Christ. Uh, This term, in Christ, is Paul's favorite way of referring to the Christian. Uh, If you're reading through the New Testament and you look at Paul's letters, he wrote a great deal in the New Testament, and you just circle in there every time or underline or something, every time you see in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, he's all over the place with in Christ because he understands this as like the foundational identity of the Christian. Uh, And these... 14 verses that we see here, he actually uses this phrase 11 times. So to be in Christ is to be united with Christ. In other words, to be made one with Christ. It's as if we've put on Christ and he now envelops, surrounds, comes all around and consumes what was old and left of me and replaces with himself And now I am in Christ as a Christian. This is what happens when an individual turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus for their salvation. They become partakers together of Christ's life. That Jesus' death is counted as their death. That Jesus' resurrected life is now also given to them. That all of this being in Christ we get all of Christ. All of his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And the believer now belongs to Jesus. This is true of the saint, of the holy one, of the believer, of those who are in Christ. So when we read these first several chapters, and especially our text tonight, understand this. 
everything that we're talking about is talking about the individual that is a Christian. That is somebody who is actually in Christ. Somebody who genuinely believes and has been made holy by Christ. Verse 2, before jumping into the book, it begins by pronouncing a blessing over those who read it. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That as we read these words, that as we study these words, that as we embrace these words, that our lives, that our souls would be filled with grace and peace. That as we take these words and embrace them and obey them and believe them, that your life would be filled with the unmerited favor of God and that your soul would be at rest and would be settled in the Lord. I don't know about you, but that sounds really good to me, right? Experiencing the grace of God and having my soul completely at rest in Jesus as a result of what we see here in God's word. So then we get to verses 3 through 14. Verses 3 through 14, these are all one sentence in the Greek language. So when Paul wrote this in Greek, all of this part that's highlighted on the screen is one super long sentence. 202 words make up this complex sentence. And if you get this sentence, like I mean really understand it, and embrace it and believe it and put your hope, faith, and confidence in the truths that are contained here, then you understand much of the Christian life. There's a thesis, which is like the main statement of here's everything that we're going to say and this is what it's all about. And then there are three parts to this sentence and then it ends with an exclamation mark. So here it is. Verse 3 is the thesis. God has blessed me in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Again, if you're in Christ, then God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Not one spiritual blessing, not two spiritual blessings, not just a few spiritual blessings, not a bunch of spiritual blessings and withholding a couple to see if you're on your best behavior. No, all, every spiritual blessing has been given to you if you are in Christ. Uh, there are spiritual blessings and then there are material blessings, right? Material blessings are the things in life, the tangible things like food and family and stuff and a house. Uh, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about spiritual blessings. That is something that you in the inner person in your soul experience and becomes true of you. It is something that your soul has and something that you experience in the inner person. Now look at how beautiful and all-encompassing this sentence is, okay? Uh, verses 3 through 6 are all spiritual blessings that we have received from the Father. These are specifically attributed to God the Father. Verses 7 through 12 are going to detail the spiritual blessings that we've received from the Son, from Christ. And then verses 13 through 14 are going to detail the spiritual blessings that we have received from the Spirit. So that by the time we're done seeing all of this, we're going to see that God, all of God, the very being of God, consisting in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, that all of God blesses us with all spiritual blessings. And not only that, but you look at verses 4 and verse 10, 
and it talks about before the foundation of the earth and until the fullness of time. That all of these spiritual blessings have been ours before the foundation of the world, if we're in Christ, and will be ours until the fullness of time. So it's all-encompassing because all of God, his whole being, is giving us these blessings, and we're going to experience them now and for eternity. One sentence, 12 verses, verses 3 through 14, is one of the most important sentences, I think, in the Bible. And so by God's grace, would we understand it tonight? Would we enjoy it tonight? And would we embrace it tonight? if we're in Christ. And if you're sitting here and you're not in Christ and you say, every spiritual blessing sounds really nice. Uh, Grace and peace are something that are woefully lacking in my life right now. Uh, I encourage you to hear these words spoken from God unto you and allow them to draw you near to the Lord. First, we are blessed by God the Father. Blessed by God the Father. Verses Three through six. Look at those with me, please. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us, in the beloved. Look at verse 4. Number 1. I am chosen. This is the first spiritual blessing. Verse 3 it says, "Blessed be God because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing." And then right there when it says even as, what it means is he's going to detail exactly what that means, every spiritual blessing. The thesis has been stated, and now he's going to unpack that and explain the thesis. This is what every spiritual blessing looks like. Number one, I am chosen. It says that before the foundation of the earth. This means before the foundation of the world, if you are a Christian, God set his eyes on your soul and he said he or she is mine. And I have chosen him or I have chosen her to be mine forever. This whole passage here, verses 3 through 14, are all filled with the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty is his ability to do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, for whatever reason he wants. That God is in control over all things. Verse 5 says, according to the purpose of his will. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Verse 10 is a plan for the fullness of time. Verse 11, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Again and again and again, we're reminded of the sovereignty of God, of his divine prerogative. He is God, and in his godness, he has chosen those who would be his children. And he chose them before the foundation of the world. He did this according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So, if you are in Christ, it is because before the foundation of the world, God chose you and said that you were to belong to him. This should drive us to our knees in great humility 
and should be the cause of much praise from our hearts that God has done everything from first to last to draw me to himself and to allow me and enable me to place my faith and hope and trust and confidence in him. First spiritual blessing, I am chosen. Second, I am holy. I am holy. You're like, that sounds a bit prideful, a bit presumptuous, right? That's what the text says. Look at it there in verse 4. Chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. This holiness that's being talked about here, uh, the fancy word for it is positional holiness. Okay, It's not saying that we don't still battle with sin as followers of Jesus because uh, we do, right? What it's saying, though, is because I'm now in Christ, when God looks at me, he sees the very righteousness of Christ. And so my position before God, when it comes to my guilt before him because of my sin, God sees me as holy as set apart, as blameless. A spiritual blessing from the Father to be chosen, chosen to be holy and to be blameless. Guilt removed, blame free. Verse 5, he continues. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. In love, you were predestined to adoption. That because you have been united with Christ, you are now a part of God's family. He looks at you as a son, or he looks at you as a daughter. I mean, think of the orphan who's adopted. Uh, Some of you in this room. I know have been adopted. Others of you have family members or extended family members who have experienced the joy and beauty and glory of adoption. There is something that is amazing and beautiful about adoption. Like no one has ever been adopted on accident, right? Like if you adopt somebody, it's because you set out to adopt that individual. And you went through all kinds of hoops and went through all kinds of excruciating hard things to be able to adopt that individual. But you did it because you wanted to adopt them, because you loved them so much and you wanted to call that individual son or daughter. The adopted one is completely passive in the situation. They're waiting to be adopted. And as soon as someone says, come, be my son. Come, be my daughter. In that instant, everything changes for that individual. Oftentimes, an adoptee is in a situation where they have little to nothing and they're dependent upon others for their care. And what happens in this adoption is that somebody says and says, I want you. And I'm going to take care of you. And you are going to be as a son or as a daughter unto me. This is the picture that God is giving us if we're in Christ, that chosen before the foundation of the world, set apart as holy, rid of our guilt, rid of our blame, and then he settles the matter by saying, oh yeah, and you're also going to be in my family now. I will be to you as a father and you will be to me as a son or a daughter. 
all of these spiritual blessings that God the Father lavishes upon us, look at verse 6, are to the praise of His glorious grace. That God lavishes these upon us, that He pours them out all to the praise of His glorious grace, that it would cause us in our souls to praise God and to thank God and to glory in God. We have been blessed by God the Father. We've also been blessed by God the Son. Look at verse 7, please. It says, In Him, that is in the Beloved right there from verse 6, referring to Jesus, in Him we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace with which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose for which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on things on earth. Verses 11 and 12 also. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Blessed by the Son, in Christ I am redeemed. I am redeemed through his blood. Uh, redemption is the idea of purchasing freedom. Uh, where we were once enslaved to sin, in bondage to sin, where we had no choice but to obey sin as our master, the Bible tells us that in our sin we were enslaved to various lusts and passions. Romans chapter 6 tells us that sin was our master, that we could do nothing but sin, that we could not obey outside of Christ. That when we are outside of Christ, we are actually held captive by the power of sin. And it is so powerful that the Bible likens it to like wearing chains and being shackled because of the power of sin. Unable to break free on our own. And Jesus, through his blood, has paid the price for our redemption. He has freed us from slavery by paying with his precious blood. Where we were once under the penalty of sin, eternal separation from God, we have now been bought back unto God and we are free from our sin. Not only free from the penalty of sin, but also free from the power of sin and all of the hurt and pain and suffering and shame that comes with sin. Christ redeems us from that. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 here on the screen says this, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That because Jesus shed his blood and because you have been made one with Christ through faith and repentance, you are no longer enslaved to sin. You are free. And maybe for some of you in here tonight, that is what you need to hear. You've been 
confident that you've been freed from the penalty of sin and you know that in eternity all will be well because of your salvation in Christ, but man, you have been experiencing the power of sin in your life unlike ever before. And what God's word tells us is that if we're genuinely in Christ, we are free, not just from the penalty, but from the power of sin, that you don't have to keep doing the same things that you've always done, that you don't have to keep living the same way that you've walked into this room tonight, living that as you look back on this week and all you're coming into this room tonight is with like a bucket of shame because of what you've experienced. And you're thinking to yourself, this all sounds really nice, but I know when I go back home tonight, I'm just going to find myself in the exact same place. Hear this brother or sister in Christ. God's word tells you, you are free from the power of sin. You do not have to obey it anymore as your master. Christ and his righteousness are now your master. And that if you cry out to the Lord and if you seek help from brothers and sisters in Christ, you can be finally and fully free from that sin. Redeemed by Jesus' blood, because it was spilled out, it has been credited to your account. And not only are you redeemed, but you are also forgiven, is what this tells us. In Christ, I am forgiven. It's right there in verse 7. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That when you sin against God or sin against anyone else, what you do is you actually create a moral and legal obligation. That you become indebted to God and to that other individual that you hurt. And because of that, you owe them something in return. And what forgiveness is, is God saying, all debts, free and clear. Because Jesus paid them all. That by his blood, I credit all of that to your account. And I remove all your sin and I replace it with all of Jesus' righteousness. The debt, the debt is canceled because of what Christ has done. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then after this, Paul goes on to boast about how this is triumphing over all the spiritual forces of evil because God nailed your debt to the cross in Christ and you have been fully forgiven of that. Verses 7 through 9 tell us that all of this redemption, all of this forgiveness are according to the riches of his grace. I mean, can you just think about the riches of God's grace, this inexhaustible fountain that flows forth from Jesus because of his infinite worth and because of his infinite sacrifice, that God can continue to lavish your life, pour out and pour out and pile on and pile on grace upon grace upon grace because of Jesus's worthiness and sacrifice. Not only are we redeemed in Christ, bought back from our slavery to sin, not only are we forgiven, all of our debt canceled, but we are also given an inheritance. You are no longer a slave, you're a son. You're no longer a slave, you're a daughter. You are no longer in debt. Instead, you've been given infinite wealth in Christ. 
In Christ, I have an inheritance. This happens instantly the moment you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. Peter describes our inheritance in 1 Peter 1.4. He says, it is imperishable. It's not going away. It is undefiled. It is perfect. And it is unfading. It's not being diminished over time. And it's kept in heaven for you. That for all eternity, you will experience and enjoy the infinite wealth of knowing Christ. This Christ who in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And in his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. This is your inheritance as a Christian. This is your inheritance by virtue of being made one with Christ. No longer infinitely in debt to God, but now infinite wealth. In Christ. Verse 12, look at how this section ends. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be what? To the praise of his glory. All of these spiritual blessings in Christ, to the praise of his glory. Finally, we have also received every spiritual blessing from the Spirit of God. We have been blessed by God, the Spirit. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In the Spirit, I am sealed. Uh, This is not like Ziploc bag sealed, like shut tight, okay? Uh, This is sealed like, uh, kind of like think of an agrarian society where they do cattle and farming and that kind of thing. They would brand their cattle. They would get something really, really hot and they would put it on the cattle and that would be the mark identifying that that animal belonged to such and such a farmer. And when everyone's animals were hanging out somewhere or one of them got lost or whatever it was that farmer could go and they would know instantly which ones belonged to him and which ones did not belong to him this is what it means to be sealed by the holy spirit that you have been marked by god almighty so that when he looks at you and he sees your soul he says yes that one is mine yes he belongs to me yes she's my son she's my daughter He's my son. This is what it means to be sealed by the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives within us and testifies to the Father and the Son that we do belong to God. Passage goes on to say that the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. The Spirit of God, if you are in Christ, dwells in you now, and He enables you to enjoy relationship with God, freedom from sin's power, and growth in godliness. He is the guarantee of what God has started, and we know that that which God begins, he will bring it about to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. That the relationship that you experience now with God through the power of the Holy Spirit, one day faith will become sight, and you will actually be in the physical presence of God, where you will enjoy relationship, personal, physical relationship, with God Almighty. One day, you will be finally and fully like Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the seal and the guarantee that one day you will inherit all of this. 
and it's because you're in Christ. Look at verse 14. This is the end of the 202 word long sentence. And he ends by saying, to the praise of his glory. That everything that is there on the sheet in front of you, the fact that you are chosen, the fact that you are holy, the fact that you are adopted, the fact that you have been redeemed, the fact that you have received forgiveness, the fact that you have an inheritance, the fact that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, all of it is to the praise of his glory. That the Father at work in you is to the praise of his glory. That what the Son has accomplished on your behalf is to the praise of God's glory. And that what the Spirit now does in your life and will certainly bring you about until the day of Christ Jesus is to the praise and the glory of God. That is why Paul starts out by saying, blessed be God. Because when you hear these truths and you recognize that they are true of you as you sit here in this room and as you consider your life and this last week and today and you realize how much grace God has poured out onto your life, you cannot do anything but respond to the Lord and say, blessed be God. Blessed be God for every spiritual blessing. And it's yours if you are in Christ Jesus. And so we are going to respond by blessing the Lord. Father, we come before you now with all of these truths settled in our hearts and in our minds before us, knowing that you are this God, that you are the one who has graciously given all of these things to us, that we did not for one moment earn these things, that we did not come to obtain them because of some price that we paid or some kind of wisdom that we had or some kind of secret mystery that we discovered, that we own all of these things. We have obtained all of these spiritual blessings because you set your eyes on our souls before the foundation of the earth. You are God Almighty and you did not have to set it up this way, but because you did, you set it up to where your glory would be most praised by adopting us as sons and daughters. And so tonight we say, bless you, God. Bless you, God, to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen.